the date is Thursday the 18th of January. I'm Jason England and welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. And on today's episode, we're going to talk little known technology firsts. What is a technology first? Well, many of you probably already know, but for those uninitiated, it's the first product of a category of products. So it's the first time something's happened. So the first HDTV, the first smartphone, and so on and so forth. But we'll go all into that in a little bit. First, an experiment. Now, during last week, following the previous episode, I've been asking for call-ins about one specific question. What is your favorite gadget? It can be all time, it can be right now, it could be in the last year. I know that this question can be very, very loaded. So it's very much up to you guys to interpret in any way you want and respond. And it was basically an experiment to see how many call-ins I could get. Now, I got four call-ins, which is just insane. Thank you all so much for taking the time to call in with your own thoughts. So in the spirit of any DJ, let's go to the phones. This is George, and my, I mean, the the gadget that definitely changed my life the most was probably the iPhone, right? Like getting the first smartphone definitely changed my life. I remember life before it and after it. So I would say that's probably the most amazing gadget that I ever had come into my life. But the one that I'm just nerding out and having a lot of fun with right now is still the Google Home. It does a ton of things terribly, but it feels a little bit more natural than Alexa and uh, connects with all my Google stuff. So I'd say the Google Home right now, but definitely the iPhone uh, is the one that kind of changed everything back in the day. Thanks, guys. Thanks to George Brooks there for the call-in. And i got to say, I kind of agree. Um, iPhone was definitely one of the most transformational phones and general gadgets to come out. Um, Obviously, there were other touchscreen phones and smartphones before that, but this is the one that really brought that technology to the general consumers. And as for Google Home, I can kind of get that as well. I have an Echo Dot myself, so I'm on the other side of the wall line that's been drawn between the two at CES, but um, I can, I get that. Like, I know that Google's Home AI has a lot more conversational, kind of connotational and topic-based algorithms in there as well so it remembers what you've been talking about the entire time so you don't have to keep repeating alexa do this with that if you've already asked that you can then carry on the conversation with it but yeah really great calling thanks so the best tech that i have had recently um i've actually got two of them i like to share the first one i dare anyone to get on Amazon and buy a $20 mini quadcopter. They're little teeny teeny things, up, down, left, right, back, forward. It is the best $20 you will spend, the most entertainment per dollar you will have spent in the last decade of your life. Um, the second one, a more practical, would probably be the Apple AirPods. Uh, they're great. You, you buy the little covers, 
that you put over top of them that are the Bose style so that they actually stay in your ear. Um, and then you put one in, you leave the other one out so that you can have conversations with people day to day. But as you go throughout your day, you're listening to music, you're listening to podcasts. No one really knows it's there or what you're doing. It's, it's a great deal. Thank you so much to Jeff Watson for that call in. Um, so two very interesting pieces of tech that I know can divide opinions a little bit. Like quadcopters, I'll completely agree, are super fun. Um, I played with a few myself at CES and I actually got one for Christmas one time. Um, funniest bit was probably messing about with my sister's dog with the quadcopter and just watching Ruby chasing it all over the back garden, bless her. Um, and for AirPods, I can see that I can see it being the future of audio, like wireless audio, wireless headsets and earphones and earpods are very much the way to go this year so far. Like CES was packed full of them. But in terms of the AirPods, it's a very convenient like little, what kind of looks like a tooth floss case. Um, But it's very easy to lose them. And that would be my main concern about buying a pair myself. But nonetheless, I can see how they're incredibly useful to like pick up and just get put in your ears straight away. And so long as you follow the very, if you're very strict with yourself in making sure that you put them back in your case every single time, then yeah, I can see why they'd be very useful. Thanks for the call, mate. Hey, what's going on, man? This is uh, Antoine. Um, my favorite gadget of our time was when I got the, uh, remember the two-way pagers? Um, I could like tap on my phone and um, send messages, you know what I'm saying? So that was pretty cool when when, um, when those came out. And I had mine for a, lo- for, for a long time. Antoine going deep into the history books there. Thank you so much for your call in. And that was very much the birth of kind of personalized messaging between mobile phones and the two-way pager was very much part of that advent really great to hear thanks antoine hey jason what's what's going on uh this is mr motivation just uh heard your podcast and uh i'll be honest with you i think one of my favorite gadgets right now is probably it seems pretty standard but honestly i have to say it's definitely the iphone um you know I mean, if you think about where we were 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have the technology we have at our fingertips today. I mean, you have access to news, media, social media. Um, you can call your friends and have a face-to-face conversation with them over the phone. I mean, there's just so much you can do. It, it's helping me kind of build my passion right now um, of really kind of searching uh, motivational, uh, motivational speaking and, and just really kind of changing the way I, I think and, and, and process things in my life um, and, and really challenging myself. So this is the way I do it. It's, it's definitely, the, uh, definitely my, uh, my go-to. Um, I definitely try to not live on it. But Thanks for the call in, Mr. Motivation. And yeah, I completely agree. Not just with your pretty sweet, sweet anchor name, but in general, like, the iPhone has been an incredibly transformative piece of technology. It's not that it was the first in any way, shape or form. Like there was smartphones before it, but this is the one that really brought that touch, capacitive touch-based interface 
to the general consumer as a whole. And not only has it accelerated Apple's innovation, which has definitely slowed down more recently in this area, it's also kind of given the rest of the industry a bit of a kick and it's turned everything on its head. So, for example, BlackBerry is kind of nowhere anymore, but Google and Apple are. And I always found that quite bizarre, but also pretty awesome when you think about it. It just shows how quick the technology industry can change. Thanks for the call-in. And that's all the call-ins from the phones. Thank you all so much for taking a few seconds out of your day to talk to me. It's great to have these kind of debates with people and just hear from you lot in terms of what you're thinking about. Now, I've got an upcoming call-in for next week's episode, which is going to be about the PlayStation 2. I will explain why at the end of the episode. But here's the call-in. And here's your question. Are you ready? What is your favourite video game? It can be your favourite video game of all time. It can be your favourite video game right now. It can be anything in general. Just because I know that this question is also a very loaded one. I'd also want you to interpret it in your own way and get back to me. Um, to give you my context, my favourite video game of all time would be SSX Tricky on the PS2. So the first SSX, if I can actually say that right, Jesus. The first, it was short for Snowboard Supercross, um, came out at the on the actual launch day of the PS1, PS2. Sorry. And blew my mind to be honest with you I didn't think they could get any better than they did on that game and I was super duper wrong it turns out that they could throw all kinds of gravity based snowboard reality based stuff out the window and make some completely insane super colorful fantasy land with incredible gameplay and a brilliant soundtrack I recommend I heartily recommend you guys play it or at least tweets at EA and tell them to remaster it and bring it out for new consoles. But now I want to hear yours. Simply call in using the Anchor Station. If you're listening to this on the app right now, tap the call in. Or if you're not, if you're listening to this on the podcast service, hi. All you got to do is download the Anchor app and find us on the Learn Something category and tap call in. All right, I look forward to hearing from you lot. Now, on with the show. So, let's dive in to the technology first with number one, the high-definition television, or HDTV for short. The term high-definition has... It's not just defined what you think of today, you know, like your widescreen, 720p, 1080p, TV, whatever it may be, but it once described a series of television systems from August 1936. That's right, these were mechanical systems with as few as 30 lines of resolution. However, these increased over time, and we got in 1938 our own 441 line system from France. This had a 4 by 3 ratio and really did not catch on at all, no. So these analogue systems kept going up and up and up to the BBC colour 
which was an 8 by 3 aspect ratio with 1501 lines and showed at 60 hertz. But these slowly died out as digital technology came into effect. And before long, the inaugural HDTV actual HD broadcast was introduced in the United States in the late 1980s and made official in 1993 by the Digital HD Grand Alliance. Now, this to me is just insane. I knew that it came in at kind of the late 90s for like early adopters and then most of us caught on when the crop of games consoles came out, so the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 3, all of them banging on about HD resolution. But for it to be that old, to me, is crazy. Next up, Skype. Now, Skype has been pretty fundamental in introducing peer-to-peer -peer video calling when it was first introduced back in August 2003. But it's been around a lot longer than that, including Western Electric's telephone cross with a TV set. That's right, it was introduced, well, as well as Bell Labs' picture phone that was debuted at the 1964 World's Fair. Yep, I'm not lying about this. However, the first public video phone service was opened by the German Reichspost in 1936. You could make video calls from this public phone booth, which was basically an entire corner of a building. And it closed in 1940 because of World War II. Let's keep this train of historical technological disruption going with the Kindle and eBooks. Now, I know what you're thinking. These digital displays and this micro storage should be impossible to actually replicate way in the past. Well, what if I told you that the history of these went back as far as 1922? That's right. Introducing the Fisk reading machine invented by Rear Admiral Bradley Fisk. Reading from the press release that was launched in the Miami News of March 30th, 1926, a reading machine that folds into the size of a fountain pen is designed to do away with bulky books, the Herald Tribune says today. Admiral Fisk has completed a working model of the invention, which he describes as likely to render obsolete printing presses and typesetting machines and to revolutionize the publishing business. The invention consists of an apparatus not unlike a log net, which is eyeglasses with a handle, on which are mounted a magnifying lens for one eye, a shield for the other, and a rack to hold in the reading material. So essentially, to sum up this piece of technology, you have a magnifying glass for one eye, and un underneath it you have a long script, like a tapestry little script, the size of a receipt, with all the tiny text of a book. So essentially he'd managed to cram a book into this tiny piece of gadgetry the size of a pen. And that is pretty, pretty cool. Well played. 
Next up, the computer graphical user interface. So by this, I mean the screen with the mouse and everything. That is a graphical user interface. Um, the first commercially available home computer with anything resembling a GUI, for short, was the Apple Macintosh in 1984, which was famously adapted, or maybe ripped off, depending on what side of this battle you're on, by Microsoft for its Windows OS. However, Apple didn't come up with it. They didn't do the heavy lifting. The design of the interface was actually done by a company called Xerox, X-E-R-O-X. Researchers internally debuted the Alto in 1972 and it features read like a list of and it's read and let me try that again sorry and it's features read like a list of everything standard in pcs today bitmapped graphics icons windows and the first ever mouse oh and the auto was also the first computer to feature something called an ethernet so it actually brought the lan and internet to the place as well being mainly in the photocopier business, Xerox chose not to bring the machine to market in order to focus on its own bread and butter. Oh, how different things could have been if they had made a different decision than that. And now we go to a dying breed of store. I'm talking about the video rental store, RIP Blockbuster. In late 1977, Magnetic Video became the first company to market theatrical releases on Betamax and VHS videotapes. Their library considered, consisted of 50 films, like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Sound of Music, available in both formats. And they quickly began doing good business, selling their videos by mail order. And the owner of Home Theatre Systems which was a Super 8 film and project rental company in LA, had started the business of renting films out to people. He plunked down a pretty decent amount of cash for one beta and one VHS copy of each of Magnetic's 50 titles, opened a storefront on Wiltshire Boulevard in LA and took out an ad in the Times announcing videos for rent. So 1977 was the first year that somebody had opened a video rental store. The cost was initially super steep, 50 bucks for a year's membership and 100 for a lifetime, plus 10 bucks a day for each rental. Remember, I know that sounds pretty cheap now, but this is late 70s money. But the venture was a success, and Atkinson eventually licensed more than 600 video station franchises becoming the very first video rental chain. I'm rolling to the final five, including the first communications satellite. The first privately sponsored space launch was on July 10th of 1962 and it led to the first global television broadcast two days later. Telestar 1, a satellite owned by AT&T, was launched into orbit on that day by NASA, NASA, I don't know why I was going to say it wrong there, at Cape Canaveral. 
The result of an unprecedented cooperation between these two entities, as well as Bell, who built the satellite, the General Post Office for Britain, and France Telecom. Images were relayed between Andover, Maine, and Brittany, France, and they were broadcast on both sides of the Atlantic for 18 minutes. The first image was of a waving American flag, followed by portions of a press conference held by President Kennedy, and shots of the Phillies Cubs baseball game. Telestar 1 handled hundreds of broadcasts, phone and fax transmissions for four months until cosmic radiation rendered it inoperable. This cosmic radiation came from a high-altitude nuclear test conducted by the US the day before its launch, which someone really, really failed to think through. So, all kudos to AT&T and the Telstar 1 for kind of really invent, reinventing and revolutionizing what we think of in terms of global broadcasts via satellites. And now we go way back in time. We go back to 1908. So you've probably used Google Earth or Google Maps quite regularly to either find your way around or go Explore somewhere that you've never been before. Well, in 1908, Dr. Julius Newbronner patented a miniature pigeon camera activated by timing mechanism. The invention brought him international notability after he presented it at the international expositions in Dresden, Frankfurt and Paris in 1909-1911. Spectators in Dresden could watch the arrival of the camera-equipped carrier pigeons and the photos were immediately developed and turned into postcards that could be developed. So, it's not exactly the satellite imagery that Google gets for you, but it's a very early and innovative form of aerial photography that might have inspired the engineers over at Google to map the Earth by the superimposition of images obtained by both aerial photography and satellite imagery. And the snaps taken by pigeons, while not the most fantastic, we're pretty cool. I'm just looking at them now. I know this doesn't make for great radio when I'm looking at something, but I recommend it. Go take a look. After some initial interest in the military potential of pigeon photography during World War I, the rapid advancement of aviation during the war saw the interest quickly fade and Newbronner eventually abandoned his experiments. The United States Central Intelligence Agency, however, later developed a battery-powered camera designed for espionage pigeon photography. Details of its use remain classified to this very day. And number eight, flat screen TVs. Now, many of you have probably thought that flat screen TVs were a thing in the last 20 years. And I'm here to tell you, you are wrong. In fact, they have been around since the 1950s. That's right. Because of the new techniques in the field of electronics, airplane instrument panels, and home television sets, they managed to create a thin cathode ray tube that made the box of a TV less than three inches thick, making the world's first flat screen television. However, they didn't really become a thing until more recently as you've probably attested to in your purchases. And according to an inter interview with inventor William Ross Aiken from 1996, there is a specific reason 
that we weren't all watching flat screen TVs by the 1960s. Quote from him, they finally agreed to a license, but at the last minute. I guess a board of directors meeting of RCA for the final approval, somebody said, wait, we've forgotten something. How are we going to explain to our stockholders that have wasted millions of dollars on the wrong tube? That's right. For many of these flat screen TVs that they were developing, they put lots of money and millions of dollars of investment and actually put the wrong kind of cathode ray tube into the television and meant that they just were not working in any way, shape or form. And there was silence, complete silence. And nobody ever heard or bought a flat screen TV in the 1960s. At number nine is the World Wide Web Project, which was the world's first ever website published by Tim Berners-Lee on August 6, 1991. The page, originally at info.cern.ch, was created on a next workstation at CERN Labs in Geneva, Switzerland. It pretty much just states that the web is now a thing that exists and lists some of the people involved in the project and some technical information. Since nobody but Berners-Lee and his certain colleagues had any software resembling web browsers, most of the outside world remained ignorant of this ridiculously monumental development until the Mosaic browser debuted in 1993. The page has been preserved and you can go look for it yourself. And though it looks like something a grade schooler could whip up in 10 minutes today, it led directly to every website that has ever existed ever, including the incredibly awesome newrisingmedia.com I recommend you go check it out that's a subtle plug there the server it resided on is still powered on at CERN to this day with a sign reading this machine is a server do not power down do not indeed we salute you father of all web servers and last but not least the 10th technology first I'm going to talk about blogging because as you may know I'm on a blog so somewhere in between the modern fax machine and your favorite blog was a vintage blog of sorts <clears throat> in 1938. There was a cutting edge radio delivered newspaper machine. In the 1930s, radio was the newspaper's worst enemy. Radio competed for advertising and offered a free news alternative to a penny pinching public during the depression. It also offered instant updates that the newspapers just couldn't. So the newspapers had to fight back. And how did they do that? By instantaneously printing newspaper updates and articles on a rapid basis. Much like today, the print newspapers were losing the war and resorted to that good old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. And this new technology was called the radio facsimile. The concept of sending images by wire certainly wasn't new, but it had never been applied to radio. The first basic fax patent was registered by Paris in 1843 and used a swinging pendulum to print the image. By the early 1920s, Western Union and AT&T both were transmitting photos via wire and the technology was quickly accepted by the press as a way to send newspaper photos instantly and sites around the country. 
RCA was the first company to adapt a facsimile to radio and sent a transoceanic image of President Calvin Coolidge from New York to London on November 29th, 1924. And the rest, as they say, was history. And now all that's left for me to say is thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this week's Learn Something. So as I said before, next week's episode will be all about the PlayStation 2, primarily because I've launched my own Twitch stream called The Emotion Engineer, which I basically do nothing but stream PS2 games to a sweet, sweet emo soundtrack. And I heartily recommend you go find me on Twitch, give us a follow, and take a look around. I feel like it's pretty good, but I'll leave that up to individual opinion. And also, I have the question for you guys to answer, which is, what's your favorite video game? Don't forget to call in and tell me, and then we will have a chat about it on next week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you're listening to this on any good service like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you can. And don't forget to give us a five-star review. All right. And with that in mind, I'll leave you guys to it. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care. Bye.